Andrea Burt decides to put the little chip through, and that could be very intelligent from Mangali Harvey. It's rolling towards that touchline, but Harvey's managed to keep it in, and we've got our first try of the match. Towards the referee, and it's a good little jinking run from Garcia, but she's coughed it up to Harvey, and this could be a race for the line from Harvey. She's looking to try and get a second. The chase is from Caban. She's not going to make it. It's second try for Canada and second try for Magali Harvey. To do to gather, she's tried to thread a little ball through there. It's perhaps meant to be a kick for Brava. Sorry, it's Magali Harvey who's managed to break away again with it here. Harvey's going to get a hat trick before half time. Goodness me. She... The Canada look to bring it away through Marchak looking for Harvey. Harvey's away over the 22, giving chases my own. Harvey inside Ledouf. Lunches away. Magali Harvey. Can she go all the way? In at the corner. Canada's oh! goal. What a fantastic try. And welcome back to the Canadian Rec. This is Jamie Gray coming at you live from Ross uh, New Brunswick. And uh, as you might have guessed it from listening to that little intro, or if you're watching on YouTube, that's uh, Megala Harvey. That's our guest today. Um, there she is right there holding up the World Rugby Player of the Year back in 2014. Canada women took silver in, uh, in France. Uh, she's an exciting guest. We're going to have her on in a little bit. Before we get there, though, just some semantics. Remember, if you need to contact us, we're on Twitter at Canadian Rock, Instagram, V underscore Canadian underscore rock, Facebook at the Canadian Rock, and email the Canadian Rock at gmail.com. Love hearing from the listeners. So, anytime you want to have a question or have something you want to say, feel free to reach out. As always, you can watch, listen, follow, and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and Podcasts, and uh, Castbox, which is our uh, primary source there. So, before we get any further, uh, we're just going to take a break and we're going to actually uh, spin the wheel. And, uh, and check out and see who wins one of our uh, lucky hats, Canadian Rock hats. And remember, to, uh, to win one of these, you had to you know, send me a message via social media or Facebook uh, to have your name entered in. And uh, we've had a few. So, uh, uh, so I'm going to click the button here, and this will spin and give us a, an undecided winner at the time. So stay tuned and watch this one go. And the winner is Alex McQuinn. Alex McQuinn of the Blyle Rovers. Uh, very random, very uh, good choice, and uh, Alex will be getting a hat to you at some point soon. Cheers. All right, so congratulations, Ginge. Uh, good job on you for winning that bucket. We'll uh, look at that to you here soon. And uh, right now we're just going to look and see what's in the news uh, for rugby-wise around the world. There's been a few uh, few things. I'm going to start Homeland in Canada, and basically Rugby Canada, they're looking at a return to play policy right now. I think it's kind of contingent on what province's uh, health regulations are. Uh, as you know, uh, New Brunswick, where, where I am, are, we've been not, we've been very fortunate with COVID-19. Things like that. So people are getting a little excited. So hopefully it doesn't, you know, blow up in our faces and we take it, uh, take it smoothly. Uh, but basically, with looser lockdown restrictions, Rugby Canada's trying to look at different ways we can get the game going again. And I think they're looking at some simple ways, maybe starting with flag rugby, you know, a non-contact version, where um, where there's, you know, minimal contact and eventually work our way to 7s and 15s. Um, that would be nice uh, for the fall season if, if we can get there. So hopefully Rugby Canada's um, on top of everything with regards to health 
and health regulations and uh, you know hopefully each provincial union follows um, follows uh, the the, uh, the guidelines so that we can get some rugby back on the pitch and uh, we can you know the boys and girls can get out and play and we can enjoy the game again but that's coming from us because it's New Zealand uh, New Zealand as a country has been one of the I guess they've been doing really, really well in the light of COVID and what's been going on. Um, and they're actually, instead of the Super Rugby starting up, New Zealand's actually going to start up their own round robin. And you can see there, it's beginning on Saturday, June 13th. So I've got the full schedule here. If you want to take a look for a quick second there. Round one, starting on June 13th and 14th, you got the Highlanders and Chiefs and Blues and Hurricanes. And reigning three-time champs Crusaders have a bye. Uh, the Chiefs, if you know, is uh, Tyler Ardron, Sammy Cannon, Lachlan Bozier, who are uh, past guests. So they, they opened the tournament with a, with a match via the Highlanders. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you've got round two, three, four, and five matches. And that will take you right to round 10, which finishes August 15th. All right. So um, the Chiefs have a bye that last round. But there's about 10 weeks of rugby for us coming up. Uh, some things that New Zealand is looking at for their action is uh, they're going to have chartered planes for each of the teams to travel back and forth to the games. Uh, it's a home and home, as you could tell by looking at this if you're watching on YouTube, but it's a home and home um, series versus each team throughout the tournament, throughout the round robin. They're also going to do daily, daily COVID-19 checks, uh, checking on their players every day, uh, checking their vitals to make sure that they are healthy and making sure that they are able and fit to play so that they're not spreading any disease if they happen to come into contact, which hopefully they don't. Um, I imagine as of now, they're, they're, in their, they're in their second phase. I'm not sure uh, New Zealand's regulations, if that means they're allowed to have some fans in the stadiums. Uh, I'm assuming as of now, uh, the games are just, I'm pretty certain the games are just going to be televised with no fans there. Uh, so we'll be seeing some action here in Canada. It's on TSN On Demand. Uh, which will be great. Um, uh, I believe there's a few other few other options other than just TSN, but uh, definitely get some rugby here happening soon. Uh, and a couple of players of interest. Uh, ben Smith has left France, and he's coming back uh, to New Zealand. He's going to be playing in this by the looks of it. And Julian Sevilla has left as well, and he's uh, he hasn't signed anywhere, but he's looking to uh, he's looking to play. Julian Sevilla is a very exciting player, and Ben Smith is a very rugged veteran. So both of those players are, are going to bolster some some lineup down in New Zealand, that's for sure. Elsewhere, uh, World Rugby uh, just came out within the last 24 hours. Um, I don't think this is a big surprise. This has been something that's been up in the air for quite a while, but they're 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 eliminating tries when you're grounded at the posts. Um, this has been you know slowly phasing out quite a few years ago. You could just touch the post, then you could actually for a try, then you could touch the the ball to the base of the post on the ground for the try. But now they're now they've eliminated that. I think more than anything, it's a safety issue. Um, it's dangerous and around the post, even with the paddings, it's a, it can be a, a scary place at times. So they are looking to revitalize the game, and that's one of the things they're taking out. And one of the things that was taken out uh, was the Augustine Fisher, and we spoke about this before. I, I you know, I, I've said all along this, uh, I think Augustine would be, a guess would be a great guy for World Rugby Chair. He didn't he didn't get it. He lost out on votes to Bill, Sir Bill Beaumont, who was, uh, you know, returning for his second tour of four years. Um, I think Bill does have some good ideas, but I think Pichot would have been that driving catalyst to revitalize the game throughout the world, not just in Europe. Um, 
you know, whether you believe European rugby is the best or Southern Hemisphere is the best, I think Pichot looked at it like we need to be the, we needed to be the best all over the place, not just different demographics. Um, unfortunately, um, he basically said, I'm done. You know, the, the, the vision I want isn't going to happen. Uh, there's no sense in me occupying a space um, because of that, just to, for the sense of occupying a space. So he's, uh, he's stepping back. He's going to devote more time to family, he says, and he's also going to be looking into, um, you know, keep it active with the game back in Argentina. Uh, so it's a, it's a shame. It's a loss for world rugby for sure. Uh, maybe in a couple of years we'll see him again. Who knows? It'll be nice because uh, I think he's got a lot of a lot of expertise and a lot of great ideas to bring forth to the game. So hats off to you, Augustine, for for trying. But uh, maybe 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 another time. And that brings us up to our, our special guest this week. Uh, and this week, as you know, we've got Magalie Harvey, um, dynamic player. Uh, this is the world we have for. Um, I think uh, the game against France in the in the semifinals against uh, against France back in 2014. But she is a 2014 Female World Rugby Player of the Year. She won silver that year with Canada at the 2014 Rugby World Cup against France. She also got a 25 uh, 2015 Pan Am gold. Um, also, she had a variety of top three finishes in the World Seven Series. Uh, very dynamic player, very intelligent winger, fast. Uh, dynamic ankle breaking moves and uh, great interview. Um, very, very, very knowledgeable of the game. She's a, she coaches also university and uh, she's still very active in the game and very fun athlete to watch and, 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 and chat with. So hopefully you enjoy, uh, hopefully you'll enjoy this conversation and uh, sit back, relax, crack a beer and enjoy my time with, with Magalie Harvey. All right, so welcome back to the Canadian Ruck. We're fortunate this uh, pod that we have Magalie Harvey, uh, National Team Canada icon, won uh, Player of the Year in 2014, the same year Canada won a silver medal. Uh, so very much uh, pleased to have you on the pod with us today, Magalie. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, so you began playing rugby, I think it was around the age 16 I saw. Why did you choose rugby? Uh, that's a great question. So at the time I was in high school, and my high school kind of offered a sport every season. So say in the fall, uh, I don't know, it was soccer. And then in the winter, it'd be basketball. And then in the spring, there was nothing. And suddenly rugby got introduced. So it's kind of like all the players who go from soccer to basketball were like, hey, what's this new sport? Um, and I was one of them. So I kind of joined in not knowing what it was. Um, and you kind of like go on the internet and you see people, you know, the internet kind of shows you the worst highlights of people getting smashed. So you're not too sure. Uh, so yes. when I started, I was not too sure I wanted to play, but I ended up joining because of my friends. So what's, what high school did you go to? I went to St. Patrick's High School in uh, Quebec City. Okay. So yeah, that's, uh, I coach high school rugby and that's, you know, one of the things that the new players always ask, can you show me some you know, highlight something like that. And <laughs> I try and show, that. Yeah, I try and show them games from previous seasons that our team has played. So, you know, not to intimidate anybody. Um, so we were talking about this before recording, but you, you went to St. of X first in Nova Scotia and you started uh, playing rugby there as well. Did you, win a, did you win a national championship there? Yeah, I did. Uh, I guess I was in a lucky year because at the time there were probably eight players that were in Canada under 20 team and they were just going all to St. FX. So it was kind of a nice transfer of playing Canada and then 
going to university with the same team. Uh, so we had a pretty strong team. And of the three years I played there, I think we, we were in the finals three times, won twice and lost once. Uh, yeah, so I guess it was a, a good season. That's, that's pretty awesome. So from there, you're, you're now at Concordia and uh, you're, you're finishing up your degrees, but you're also coaching, is that correct? I am coaching. It's a bit of a contrast. So I coach at McGill University and I attend Concordia University in my studies. Um, it just so happened that the program that I wanted to get into was not offered at McGill. Okay, that's fair. Um, so are you still playing rugby right now? Because you're still relatively young. I mean, there's a quarantine going on, so no. Well, but... aside from that. <laughs> no, enough. um, well, I, I don't know. It's, it's been quite confusing, right? Because you kind of, I guess your priorities kind of change in those circumstances and stuff. Uh, so for a bit, I was debating whether to go to the World Cup, not to go to the World Cup, see how it goes. And now I, I don't know because, you know, the Olympics moving on one year later, which probably means that the other rugby events are going to be pushed back. Right. Um, so I guess it's a to be TBD. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. So let's walk us through. You you played in the 2014 Rugby World Cup, which was the same year you won IRB, the World Rugby Player of the Year. Can you walk us through that experience of the 2014 World Cup where, you, where your team earned silver? Uh, for sure. So the first thing that people have to understand is that when you notice a team for the first time, it's that they've been doing all of the hard work for a long time. You know, you notice them once starting to pay off. Uh, so this 2014 team, they, they were around. They, like, we played together for a long time and won many tours from like 2011 to 2014. It was the same team pretty much. And um, at the time, the sevens team and the 15s team were kind of competing together for players. Uh, most of the sevens players chose to stay in the sevens program so that they could solely focus on sevens for the Olympics. A few of us decided to do sevens and fifteens and others, obviously like the forwards mostly decided to just do fifteens. <laughs> decided. <Fair> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was kind of like a, a really cool and close knit team because every single player that was on the team was there because they wanted to, they weren't getting paid. Um, they didn't get any government funding. Sometimes they had to pay to play. Sometimes they just had to figure things out. And because they were trying to save money, that team ended up going the like the sketchiest locations when it came <laughs> to like staying in places because it was cheaper, right? Yes. And, and you don't realize it, but it, it kind of really helps to bond the team together because you end up having so many inside jokes and like you have to stay <laughs> humble. You have to. Right. Um, yeah, so that was kind of like the mindset. Um, and we kept telling ourselves, well, actually, our coach, Francois Ratier at the time, kept kind of like referring to us as uh, the difference between, what was it again? It was like a, a team of star players versus a star team. Kind of like the, the context that everyone together was what created our strength as opposed to like star players that made it worthwhile. Right. Um, so going into 2014, it was kind of interesting because no one thought we would get anywhere. Um, and in our minds, we're kind of focusing on just going process game by game, minute by minute. And we just wanted to, I guess, prove to ourselves that we could get there. Um, so I remember kind of 
I don't know, our first pool matches, kind of like our first three matches were against, uh, I think, Samoa, Spain, and England. And we ended up tying against England, which already there, people were like, oh, was it luck? Um, and obviously, as a team, you're kind of like, screw you guys. It wasn't. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so we ended up tying, which brought us to kind of like the semifinals. And the semifinals was obviously against France. And this World Cup is in France. So everyone is so excited to have the French team beat the Canadians, you know? Like, in their <laughs> mind, it's like, this is so convenient. We're going to go there and go straight to the finals. Um, and I remember that game was amazing. It was so cool because we were in this huge stadium. It was jam-packed with blue, like blue yeah. everywhere you went. You couldn't really hear yourselves. But I guess when you're on that field, you kind of forget everything that's around you. You just right. kind of were in the moment. So to me, that game was kind of a blur. Everyone was focused on doing their job and kind of like weren't, we're in stress. It, it just felt right to be there. It felt like we deserved it and just no nice. one knew. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, I remember watching most of those games, uh, you know, six years ago and watching your team march straight to the finals there. And it was, it was an amazing feat for your squad. Uh, Maria Sampson was on a podcast earlier and she spoke pretty highly of it and highly of you. And, um, it's kind of for me, I, I mean, I obviously wasn't there. I wasn't part of the team, but it stirred up some of those national feelings of how well that your team actually did in, in the 2014 Cup. It was awesome. Um, so that same year, you also won the IRB Player of the Year Award. What does that mean to you? That's, that's pretty highly amazing. Um, I mean, I, I wish I could say, like, oh, it means the world. Um, to be honest with you, I didn't really care. Um, mm. And what I mean by that is I, I was so busy being disappointed for our team. Yeah. And the individual award, like, doesn't mean anything in rugby when you think about it. If you look good in rugby, it's because there were, like, the rest of the team made you look good. Uh, so I remember kind of like, I, <laughs> one of the pictures that they took, I just have a bitter face as I'm holding this trophy, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous, um, possibly obnoxious. But at the time, I found myself being disappointed. And as for the trophy, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting experience because as soon as you get that award, for one, people start to notice you. Um, and sometimes good, sometimes bad. So from that moment on, as soon as I made a mistake, it wasn't like, oh, unfortunately, the winger made a mistake. It was like, the best player in the world made this mistake. <laughs> yeah. Or like, say you do something good. It's like, well, we expected it because she's the best player in the world, right? right. And um, it's kind of ironic because from that moment on, that's everything. That's all that people talk about. Um, so it doesn't matter, say you do something really, really good in 2017, 2018, like way later, people will always be like, do you remember that run that you did? <laughs> like, I don't know, like six years ago. And you gotta be like, yes, of course, this is great. Um, <laughs> I think so, that was circulated around on Twitter there earlier this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know it's made a comeback and I'm like, yeah. why? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a beautiful try. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, uh, it took me some time, actually, to appreciate the try as much as I should have. You know, like, when you watch it a few times, you're like, oh, yeah, it's fine. And um, actually, I, I watched it this year after a long time because I was over-watching it, I guess. <laughs> um, and it really fascinated me, just, like, the way that, like, it happened. 
the fact that like we were so unlucky. Speaking of Maria, she was the one who knocked on the ball at like 10 meters from our try line and I was like, oh my God, no, <laughs> this was a kickoff. This is one thing you cannot do. Um, and, and yeah, from that moment on of just like winning the scrum, which like we hadn't won any of the scrums so far. Like it was interesting that the ball just came out and then just the situation was perfect for something to happen. It was, it was really cool. Well, from a fan's perspective, and to me it was one of those plays that kind of, uh, I guess, demonstrates how prolific of a, of a runner and a player you are. Um, anytime I saw you catch the ball, I thought something amazing was going to happen. You're such a beautiful and powerful runner that the anticipation when you got that ball was something magical is going to happen. And more often than not, it, it did. It was, uh, you were always a pleasure to watch, absolutely. So, you know, whether you're, you've moved on past those things or not, it, you know, you could still take solace and pride in the fact that you had an amazing time with Canada and maybe some more times to come. But that was definitely a highlight to watch those for sure. Yeah, thanks. You're welcome. A um, little bit different of a question. Athletes are often superstitious. I know I was when I get when I played uh, club rugby and stuff, I always put my left sock on first and my right sock, you know, just little idiosyncrasies. Did you ever have any superstitions? Or do you have any superstitions? Um, I used to have one, and it sounds terrible because it's, it's kind of like an eye roll. Um, I used to uh, straighten my hair before every game. Okay, I can't do that. Really? Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Um, but I just, I don't know why I wanted to have like the slickest ponytail and it's hilarious because as soon as you make one tackle, it's all over the place. Right. right. But I had to start like in this perfect ponytail that had hairspray and it just looked great. And that sounds so girly, but yeah, that, that's what I did. And I wore the same sports bra every single game. You washed it, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay then. All right, so the next little section, it's, it's, we kind of have a little bit of fun. So it's a quick fire scenario where I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a phrase and you have to give me like one or two words of what you think your answer is. So some of it's rugby based, some of it's more individual based kind of to get at your personality, okay? No racking, okay. <laughs> Best team you ever faced? New Zealand. Best player you ever faced? Portia Woodman. Best match you were a part of? Uh, World Cup 2014, semi-final against France. Fair enough. All right, 15s or 7s? 15s. Chips or chocolate? Chocolate. Light, dark, or white? White. White? Oh, white. That's, that's, that's rare. That's good. All right. I mean, you got to show that you did work. I'm not thinking of like a white rugby jersey. Well, you know <laughs> if someone is slacking. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, favorite beer? I don't like beer, so that's a, I don't know. I, I'm going to say Budweiser because it's pretty much the only one I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. What's a guilty pleasure? Um, I really enjoy playing Xbox. Like, okay. especially during this quarantine, there's nothing to do except playing Xbox. <laughs> what, what games? Um, right now, I'm playing The Witcher 3, which is like an open world. It's so fascinating. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. You are in university, so, you know, that makes sense. 
shit. <laughs> Best place for a drink after a match? Uh, probably the clubhouse. I feel like there is so many random people that show up and you never know what's going to happen. Absolutely. What series are you binge watching right now? Uh, I'm watching Westworld. Have you seen it? No, I hear it's good though. It's just the time when I, I try to sell it to you, or like you, you can if you are you in it. <laughs> um, I mean, I really like Westworld because um, it's kind of the concept of they created robots that do not know that they're robots, and they program them so that they kind of like create an adventure for you. So you enter this world kind of like a video game. And those robots are there to kind of serve you and be like, hey, I have this amazing adventure. Like, we're going to find a bounty. So you kind of get to play video games in real life. And obviously, some people do terrible things to the robots. We do not know that they're robots. But yeah, I really like the show. It's very interesting. So I'm assuming eventually the robots try and take over. Wow, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who's your favorite musician? Right now, I really like this New Zealand band. It's called 660. Okay. What kind of music do they play? Like, kind of a bit reggae, a bit kind of chill, relaxed, indie. It's really hard to explain, but like, I recommend you listen to them. 660? I'll, I'll look it up. All right. Uh, favorite movie? Favorite movie? Mm, I have a few. <laughs> but I really like Slumdog Millionaire. Okay, fair enough. That's a good one. Um, I really liked Avatar, kind of like the one with the James Cameron movie. I did. I only got about halfway through that. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I found it, during that movie, I found myself kind of watching and not wanting it to end, just to <laughs> so cool. Um, okay. And the last one is kind of sci-fi. It's kind of this. Um, I don't even know if it's the sixth or the fifth element. Yeah, with uh, Bruce Willis? Yes, exactly. 90s, yeah, that's a good one. All right, who would play you in the Netflix movie of your life? Oh my gosh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know, I can't say I thought about it before. I'm guessing they would have to be a colored person. Who's, who's out there? <laughs> it's all on you. <laughs> That's, that, that's fair. Tyler Ardron, when I asked him this question, he couldn't answer it either. All right. Will Smith with a wig. There you go. How about Jada Pinkett Smith? That's what she could do. Okay. So would Will be the uh, leading man in the movie then? Leading woman. <laughs> All right. The last one. Who had the biggest impact on you as a player? Mm. So I'm lucky and unlucky in the sense that when I first joined the national team, uh, I was the only university player that was part of the team. I was also the youngest. Um, and I joined this team where my teammates were all the players that I looked up to when I first started. You know, like the Mandy Marchaks, the Barbara Mervins, where I was just kind of like, oh my God, those players are amazing. And suddenly I got to be by their side. Um, so I think in their own way, they kind of all influenced me and kind of like made me the player that I was because I, yeah, they were definitely my role models and they, I, I practiced with them all the time. So they kind of made me better, a better player. So it's almost like a collective uh, veteran group 
that really helped you understand the national game and what it means to be a national player? Yeah. But not just like on the field, off the field as well, just kind of like in terms of maturity and kind of becoming an adult because I started, like I just left home and started university and had no idea how to live by myself or cook yeah. or anything, you know? So, no more craft dinner. <laughs> no. All right. So, so that's it for the quick part. I've got a few questions left here. So this next one kind of ties in with uh, the biggest impact on you, but what are your thoughts on what makes a great team player? Um, I have a lot of thoughts. And I think it's a mix of being a coach and being a player. So back in the days, I, I used to think that someone that was really, really athletic um, was probably going to be one of your best players. And the more that I coached, the more I realized that that's not really accurate. Um, how I see it is the work ethic just how hard that player is willing to work. So it doesn't matter if you have an amazing player that scores all the try, if they don't do the work outside, if they don't show the right example to the players, then it kind of like ends up negatively affecting a team. So now I'd say work ethic is what makes an amazing player. That like They might not be the fastest, they might not be the strongest, they might not be the most skilled, but like because they just keep pushing, they actually do get better and they kind of bring everyone with them. So somebody with a real high level of dedication to improvement. Yeah, for sure. So can you name some great players that uh, remind you of what you're, what you're uh, describing to me that you played with? For sure. Um, so I'm going to use Chanyan Pokyang. <laughs> I might be biased. She's one of my good friends. But um, Karen's one of those players that, like, she's crazy. And what I mean by that is that she'll just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. So, like, if there's a, I don't know, a record, it's not, oh, yeah, I want to get to that record. It's, what do I have to do to beat that record? And just being around her, like, oh, she's always finding a way to make it better, a way to improve, a way to push herself harder. And I think, um, I think that was by far, like, I don't know, very inspiring. And at the same time, like, oh, my God, you're crazy. Oh, it's, it's impressive. It sounds like she's great at um, creating like micro goals in order to help them achieve those, those larger goals. Yeah, for sure. That's really cool. How important is a coach, seeing how you are a coach now, how important is the, the role of the coach on, on a team? Um, I think coaches are really important at every level. Um, sometimes people just think that coaches are there to like, develop skills, but I think the main reason why coaches are so important is because they create the team culture. Um, players unknowingly end up reflecting a lot of what the coach thinks. And sometimes coaches don't realize the impact that they have on these players. So sometimes it might be good, sometimes it might be bad, but I'd say that coaches have a huge impact in team morale and team leadership and kind of like the actions of their players. And then obviously, if they know their rugby, it's even better. Uh, if they don't, I, I still think that there's room for improvement, you know. But in terms of like the, the actual team mindset, mindset um, coaches play a huge role in that. Who are, uh, who are some great coaches you played with, played for? Um, I'd say that my favorite was Francois Atti. 
And the reason why is kind of, I guess it's my style of coaching. Um, what I like is that he'll give you a toolkit. And what I mean by that is like, he'll show you how to step, he'll show you how to pass, he'll show you how to do things. But he'll say like, I've given you the tools and I want you to figure out like when you want to use them. And so because it's not, um, I guess a dictatorship is the best word for it, but you know, it's kind of like free. You get to decide when you want to use them. It kind of gives you the freedom to try things and you get comfortable trying things. And the more you try things, the better you get at it. Um, and what I really enjoyed from that coach was that it was okay to mess up. Making mistakes was all part of it. And like, yeah, obviously you learn from that mistake, but it wasn't the reprimand to the point where you just get tossed on the side and replaced by someone. Um, and another coach in New Zealand, sounds terrible, I don't even remember his name now. Um, but he, he was the same mindset. So I played uh, one season for Waikato in New Zealand. And it was that same kind of mentality of, yeah, you, I see your strength. We're going to develop your strength so that you get even stronger. And then once you're on the field, you're on your own. Like, I'm there. I wave at you, but you make your own decision. Um, and I think that makes a huge difference because it gives players the confidence to try things and to kind of understand the game, not just be told what to do on the field. Absolutely. You can't learn if you don't make mistakes. For sure. And that's one of the things I always tell my players is that there are no such things as mistakes if you learn from it, as then it's just a learning moment in your life uh, and try and give players the freedom to try things and be creative, um, you know, with tools that they have. Yeah, yeah. One thing you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, I, I really enjoyed it was team culture. Um, you say the coach plays a huge role in developing team culture. What is... I guess talk to us what you think a really great and strong team culture is. Um, I mean, this is a tricky one, right? I think that um, team culture will depend on every team. You know, it, it really depends on the personality of your players. Um, and that culture should adapt depending on what type of players you have. Um, but in general, I, I suppose team culture has to do with connection. And it's not just connection off the field, on the field, it's also connection off the field where, whereby players end up hanging out together. They know each other. They know what's going on in one another's life so that they can back one another. Um, and I guess like the best way I can say it is kind of like being a good person. Yeah. Just doing the right thing and knowing that like everyone on this team will back you for the decision you made, but also the decision you are making is selfless. You're doing it for the good of the team or the good on the outside in general. Absolutely. It's, um, it's a shame when only one or two people can uh, ruin the culture of a team. Yeah. Um, I think as coaches, we've, you know, we've all seen those players. How do you combat something like that when you come across, you know, one or two players that are very individual mindset um, that are kind of going against the rest of the culture that the team is actually, I guess, leading with? Um, I mean, it's very counterintuitive, I suppose, to do it that way, but I found that it worked quite well sometimes. I put them in leadership position where I forced them to have to include players where they can't just do things on their own. Right. Um, this said, sometimes I, it also backfires 
because you have those great leaders on the team who kind of are like, but why? Why yeah. give that role to someone else? Um, sometimes it's important to talk to those players. And like, it, it surprises me that someone would not realize the way that they act around the team, but sometimes it does happen when players are just so absorbed with themselves that they don't know. And if it doesn't work, I am sorry to say it that way, but it's, it's way better not to have that type of player on a team because it really does destroy an atmosphere and so much, so much energy is spent, well, not yours, but your players' energy is spent on, I guess, bitching, sorry about that. Um, That's fine. Kind of feeling frustrated that there are double standards on the team. That'd be, and it would be very taxing on the coach as well because you're invested in the team and you're trying to make sure that those players are also taking part of the team culture. So if that doesn't happen, it can be very hard on you probably coaching philosophy wise. And For sure. But, um, so I coach women and I find that, well, right now I coach women, I've coached men too, but one of the main differences I find is that women um, keep a lot to themselves in the sense like they will not share with a coach until it's, it's really bad. You know, it has to get really bad before something happens and the coach finds out. So sometimes I find it taxing because you, you can see that there's somewhat of a passive-aggressive moment. No, you kind of have to read between the lines because no one will show you the written words of what's going on. Um, yeah, so it's taxing and you might not even know it is what I'm getting at here. No, that's absolutely fair. What do you want to be remembered for as an as a athlete? Like you know, 50 years down the road, what's, what's a story? I, it, you know, by the sounds of it, you're not big on, you know, past glories, but what, what would you like your teammates to remember you for or, you know, your generations of family members to remember you for? Uh, that's a great question. I think, I think I want to, remem- want to be remembered for uh, kind of being a positive, kind of bringing the mood up and for being cheeky. So, <laughs> an example of that. So, um, <laughs> when I was on the national team, I made it my purpose to prank people. <laughs> and I think sometimes, like, sounds silly, but pranking is one of the best ways to get everyone together. Kind of like you know, play jokes on people, where people talk about it, laugh about it, have fun. So this one yeah. time, it was a tour. It was it was in October, so it was close to Halloween. And I decided that I was going to take Rugby Canada gear and stuff it with clothes. And I'd bought a mask. So I'd put a mask and then we had a, a team common room so I'd, and a breakfast room. So I had left that um, stuffed doll, I suppose, that was human size because it was stuffed, into the common room a few days before Halloween. So people got used to it. And then on the day of Halloween, <laughs> I... Um, I had my teammate, like I woke up really early in the morning before people got to breakfast and I had my teammate help me like stuff myself with the doll and I just stayed there. <laughs> and um, yeah, I waited until like people were there and then obviously like my, my goal was to scare people and that doll was kind of like sitting next to people. So at some point I kind of like <laughs> came in um, and yeah, it just kind of like made everyone laugh. Obviously, one of my teammates had a heart attack, um, but... <laughs> no fights broken. No, no, no. Um, 
but it just kind of like creates this really fun morale i guess and sometimes you need that on a team it makes a big difference sometimes. absolutely that's a that's a great story I, I usually ask are there any great rugby stories something about camaraderie and i think you've answered that um that's a <laughs> I don't know how I would have responded. I don't know if I would have screamed or if I would have like pushed you away. Like, I'm not sure where I went with that one. That's good. Um, talk to us about your, uh, your affiliation with the Lifetime Networks charity. Uh, sure. So, I don't know what to tell you. I, it's <laughs> gonna sound terrible, but here it is. Um, I, I think I wanted a scholarship or I wanted something and unfortunately it was asking for volunteer work and I had not done volunteer work and I was like, oh my god, I need to add volunteer work to my resume. You know, those are things you don't admit, eh? <laughs> um, anyways, so you know, here I am, I kind of signed up and then I, <laughs> I connect with it. Um, so so the network kind of like you connect to someone with a disability and you start hanging out with them okay and um so it sounds like the story's getting better <laughs> so you, you hang out and, and my person was like um steven was 50. okay and he um he just kind of had he was slightly autistic and so he was very, very concentrated and like reading and asking all those questions. And at the beginning, I was overwhelmed. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. And then it really grew on me where it didn't feel like volunteer work anymore. It was kind of like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with this person. Um, <laughs> so in the end, I did not write it on my CV. Um, I kept doing it because I enjoyed it and kind of like, if I had a small team event where we were supposed to, I don't know, the Terry Fox run, I would just bring Stephen with me. Um, awesome. And then we'd go to the museum and he'd disappear and I'd, you know, play hide and seek without knowing. <laughs> <laughs> with him not actually playing. <laughs> no, he was just very interested in uh, reading every single paper and sometimes he just kind of wandered off. I don't know what I was up to, but clearly I wasn't. <laughs> but that's really, that's really cool, though. Um, uh, lastly, we might edit this part out, but I was watching you on Instagram the other day, and you were riding a scooter yeah. with, a, with a friend or something. What was that about? Yeah, um, so I started this new job, I guess, um, with Apollo Scooter. And it's basically like this company that uh, sells e-scooters um, and I was testing it out so I just wanted to see how far it could go and you know kind of how fast it could go and it's a really good time I guess it's, it's really different when you work for a company and when you try their product and you're gonna be like oh it does work <laughs> it looked like you two were going quite fast <laughs> Yeah, well, it's really surprising. Some of them, it's ridiculous. So some, some of their models actually go up to 50 kilometers to 60 kilometers an hour. And that's a wow. plug-in, right? So like you literally use a plug, kind of like a laptop charger. That's what it's <laughs> like, right? Now like you're saying that I can plug this in my wall as a laptop charger for like, I don't know, six to eight hours. And it's going to bring me for 60 kilometers at this distance, right? Jeez. I did not go at 50, it scared the crap out of me. 
I stay at a solid 30 kilometers an hour, but it's quite fun. I, I really enjoyed it. That's good. Um, well, that's it for me. Is there anything else you'd like to add or tell us about the story of Magalie Harvey? <laughs> no, I think, no. Uh, I think those are great questions. We kind of encompass the general idea of myself, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, well, thank you very much. Uh, I truly appreciate you having, uh, having you on the podcast. Uh, it's been a pleasure and I wish you nothing but the greatest of success. Oh, thank you for having me once again. That was awesome. Um, it's always great diving into the women's game. Uh, I know in Canada, it doesn't get as much play as it should, but it's, it's gaining steam. Our, our women's program is, and a big part of that has been over the years has been Magali Harvey. So, Big thank you, Megaly, for joining us today. Really enjoyed chatting with you. Um, you know, all the interviews I've done so far, one of my favorites for sure. I just I love how personable she was and, you know, willing to talk about almost anything and just, you know, smile that lights up the room. So thank you very much. Coming up next uh, on our next few podcasts, we have Connor Trainer. I'll be chatting with him soon. Shortly after that, we have John Moonlight. And then shortly after that, we have the McKenzie brothers, Jamie and Phil. Uh, so they're, they're going to be three, three great conversations that you're all going to want to listen to as well. As always, uh, hats off to the essential workers, the support staffs, uh, volunteers, anybody else that has been helping everybody get through the pandemic. You know, hats off to teachers that have had on my back for that one. That's a good teacher as well. Um, you know, firefighters, the police, everybody is kind of risking themselves to get us back into safer places and safer times. Uh, and it's been going great in New Brunswick. So thank you, thank you, everybody that's been helping. As always, thanks to Ben Sound Music for supplying our tunes. And as always, if you have a topic request or a guest you'd like to see, reach out to me and I'll do my best to get them on. And as always, this is Jamie. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane, and most importantly, keep on rocking. <laughs>